And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to take a quick break this week from our study of Galatians to consider another of our gospel roots in our ongoing series celebrating our 125th birthday as a church family. And we're going to do that in Acts chapter 1 this morning. I want to read to you this morning verses 1 through 11, but our focus will be mainly on verse 8, one of the most familiar verses in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but we'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Every word is true. Every word is sure, certain, something we can hang our hat on, something we can stand on. So many things in this world are not sure. They are not certain. But your word abides. It abides forever. And so we can, we can cling to it if we understand it. Help us, Lord, to understand your word better and to apply it to our hearts so that we do what it says. We pray in the name of Jesus, who paid it all, who paid our debt, and raised this life up from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen. As I said, this is our sixth monthly message in our ongoing Gospel Roots sermon series. In this series, we're looking back over the foundational values and practices and principles that undergird and nourish who we are today. What is the root system that our church has grown up out of these last 125 years? In January, the first and most foundational gospel root was the gospel itself, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The second in February was about singing the gospel together, worship. The third in March was about sharing the gospel with lost people, 
evangelism, what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. The fourth was about being a praying church, devoting ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, like that outgoing uh, hide-the-word verse that we recited together this morning. And the fifth message was about building our church on the Word of God. Remember this Swedish phrase? Var star det skrivet. Remember that? What does it mean? Where stands it written? Well, today I want to talk about the people on your fridge. Now, if your family is anything like our family, you have pictures of your family on your refrigerator. Who was, who was that amazing inventor who thought, let's make the outside of the fridge metallic so we can put pictures on it? That is just a great, that's a genius idea. I wish I had patented it, right? Well, uh, maybe uh, on your refrigerator you have some sports pictures, uh, or 20, of kids in your family with a baseball bat on their shoulder or a glove outreach like this or maybe somebody in their uh, band uniform or their or, or their uh, football uniform or their wrestling singlet and maybe you have a picture of everybody in your family at the beach or, or there's pictures of your cousins right but there's a good chance you probably have pictures on your fridge of people who aren't in your biological family it's their family all standing or sitting together and they're smiling for the camera. And there are words on these pictures. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's words on these pictures. Maybe they're names. And the other words are Reach Global or Miracle Mountain Ranch or Word of Life or Team. Who are these people? They're missionaries. For every one of these Gospel Roots messages, I've had some historical artifact in this box. Whenever you see this box, you're like, ooh, I wonder what he's got in there today. Well, today, it's prayer cards that often go up on our fridges. In fact, uh, we have tons of them here in our archives at the church. Um, they, They are too small for you to see up here. I've got some of them in the PowerPoint presentation, but there's a whole bunch of them. Do you know why? Because this church has been incredibly dedicated to world missions for a very long time. If they had had fridges back then, then this fellow would have been on the fridge of the church family back in 1897. I took this picture at EFCA 1. Uh, They had a great big board of historical pictures, and I took a picture of this picture. He wasn't actually there. in Austin. Does anybody know who this debonair, debonair dude is? He's got an epic beard that would go great in today's beard culture. And it's not Buffalo Bill Cody. So does anybody know who it is? Frederick Franson. Very good, Becky. That's right, Frederick Franson. Frederick Franson was born in June of 1852, and he died in August of 1908. He was an associate of D.L. Moody, and an early leader among the free churches and other ethnically Scandinavian denominations. Franson founded six missionary agencies, including the Scandinavian Alliance Mission. And in 1897, Frederick Franson visited a little church in Lance, Pennsylvania. That was 120 years ago. Our church was only five years old. Okay? Our church still had training wheels on right then. This is what B. Johnson 
wrote in our history book. In the winter of 1897, there was a spirit of revival in the church. And as a result, many people came to know the Lord as their personal Savior. During that time of revival, a young man by the name of Frederick Franson came to visit the fellowship. If I'm doing my math right, he was actually 45. I think that's young. Reverend Franson was the founder of TEAM, then known as the Scandinavian Alliance Mission. He was a firm believer that time was short and that the Lord's return was very near. This conviction spurred him to go to Scandinavian churches to try to recruit men and women for missionary service. No one in this newly organized congregation volunteered for full-time missionary work, but the leaders of the church promised Reverend Franson that they would support the Scandinavian Alliance mission financially until the Lord would return. And we are keeping that promise still today. Down through the years, we have supported many missionaries with two missions that could claim some descendancy from Franson, Team and Reach Global. B also writes that three years later in 1900, quote, contributions to missions totaled $494.29. Now listen, that was considerably more than the cost of the new church building that had been erected during that year. I love that. They build a building, and for more than they built the building, they sent off into missions. In 1905, the church had the privilege of seeing one of its own members, Carl Nelson, answer the call to become a missionary in China. 1905, that's decades before anybody in this building was ever born. If you read through the history, missions appears again and again throughout the decades. For example, in 1949, the pastor of Lance Free was a man named Harold Swanson. And Pastor Swanson challenged the church family to give at least 10% of the church budget to missions every year. Right now, amazingly, the percentage has grown to closer to 25%. Every time you give a dollar, like this morning when you put a dollar in the offering plate as it goes by, a quarter out of every four quarters, goes from here to somewhere else to mission support. And when you throw in things like special offerings to missions projects like the Family Bible Week missions project, the percentage is probably more like 30%. There have been so many individual missionaries that we have supported. Some of you are old enough to remember names like David and Gwen Green and Earl and Angie Miller and David Tater. I didn't know them, but I did know these people, or at least I'd met Bob. This is Bob and Joyce Dignan. Do you remember the Dignans? The Dignans were with Team in Korea. We partnered with them for over 40 years. Or this sweet lady, Elizabeth Anderson. Remember Elizabeth? How about these people? Does anybody know these folks? Yeah, they don't look like that today, do they? That's, they still don't look like that. Maybe a little bit more like that. This is Tim and Debbie McIntosh and their family. We began supporting the McIntoshes in 1981 at $100 a month for 36 years now. 
if we had never increased our giving to them, which we have, but if we'd never increased our giving to them, that's $43,200 that we've sent to them over the years. Here's Kim and Jan Cohn. When I came, this is what they looked like. And this is what the ages of their kids. Uh, let's see here. They got a little bit older. And here they are today. I think that's... Yeah, there they are today. They're the same people. But they change. We all change, don't we? Here is some from 1988. Our own homegrown missionaries. Anybody see who that is? Can you tell who that is? Yeah, you can't tell very good, but it's John and Becky. And this is what they look like today. John and Becky. John Graham and Angela. And then, here's some other homegrown missionaries. Bruce and Donna Weatherly. Here's some more from the 1980s era. These are fridge magnets. John, or Jim and Kay Panaggio. They're still ours. Enoch, Lucian and his family. They're still ours. And sent out in the 80s, still serving today. There are many more than I can list. I don't have them all. I, I try to figure out like an, ex, uh, an exhaustive, comprehensive number of all the missionaries and, and all the names and all the, and I, I just couldn't do it. These are just representative. All because this church has been dedicated to world missions for a very, very long time. There have been a lot of people on our fridges over the years. Why is that? Well, it's because of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus was eating with His disciples after His resurrection. After His resurrection, He's eating with His disciples. And they asked Him when He was going to return and set up His kingdom. When is Jesus going to return? Do you know the answer to that one? No. He said, that's not for you to know. We don't know when Jesus will return. We know that He will return. But we aren't told the times or the dates. And while we wait expectantly, just like Frederick Franson, we're supposed to be busy reaching our world for Jesus Christ. Jesus calls it being His witnesses. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now there's a lot of things we could say about that verse. Some people have made that verse into a strategy for local church outreach. First you reach your Jerusalem. Like that, for us, that's like Lance or West Branch. And then you reach your Judea. That's central Pennsylvania. Maybe over into Penn State, right? Then you reach your Samaria. The people who are not like you but are right here next to you. People that are different from you. LGBT people. Muslim people. People that are different from you but are right here among us. And then you reach out to the ends of the earth. Now that's not a bad idea to have a strategy like that. To, to think about who is in those categories for us. But that's not why G Jesus said what's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said it because that's what they were going to do. This is a promise, and it is a prophecy from our Lord. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the table of contents for the book of Acts. Acts 1, 8 is exactly what happened. 
Chapters 1 through 7 of Acts are about the gospel in Jerusalem. Read them sometime. That's Jerusalem. By chapter 8, the gospel makes it to Judea and Samaria. And by chapter 13, there are missionaries named Paul and Barnabas who start taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas were the guys on the fridge cards in Antioch and in the churches of Galatia. And now, the gospel has reached all the way to central Pennsylvania. We think of central Pennsylvania as the the center of the universe. Whenever anybody asks me where I'm from, I say, I'm from the center of the known universe, Lance, Pennsylvania. But we're actually on the whole other side of the planet from Jerusalem, right? Now the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth. That's why we do missions. That's why we have people on prayer cards on our fridge. Because Jesus told us to. Jesus said this would happen and He wants us to be involved. Because it's not just a promise. It's not just a prophecy. It's a command. When He says, you will be my witnesses, He means He wants us to do it. You know, like when mom says to clean your room, she says, you will clean your room. Right? Is that just like a simple statement, a prophecy? It is a command, right? You will clean your room. Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses. Being witnesses is not an option for the followers of Jesus Christ. A witness is someone who gives testimony A witness is someone who has seen something or experienced something and can tell others about it. These men in Acts chapter 1 were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. You and I are ear witnesses. We have heard the good news that Jesus is alive and we need to tell others and pass it on. And we have all experienced Jesus at work in our lives. So we need to tell others that. You will be my witnesses. Jesus also said, go and make disciples of all nations. He gave the church a great commission, marching orders, and they can't be fulfilled by our just sitting around. You will be my witnesses. Say that with me. You will be my witnesses. One more time. You will be my witnesses. How are you doing at that? How are we doing as a church on the whole of sharing the gospel with others? How are we doing as a church family of taking the gospel to those who don't have it yet? I don't know about you, but I need constant encouragement to keep doing that. I see three big motivators in this passage for doing this kind of witnessing. First off, Jesus is alive. That'll make you want to be a witness. Verse 3 says that after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Friends, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just a nice story we tell to the kids. This is history. A man named Jesus died and three days later came back from the dead. That should motivate us to be a witness. The second motivation is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised this gift in verse 4, and he told them not to try witnessing, until the gift had arrived in Jerusalem. Do you ever order something, say from like Amazon or something? 
and you have to wait forever. I ordered something for Heather for our anniversary, which was last Sunday, and the, the most recent status update is it'll come in the first week of July. I'm like, ah, happy anniversary. Jesus said, wait, there's a gift coming, and when this gift comes, you will have power. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. That power, that gift of the Holy Spirit is how they had the power to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. We don't do this whole witness thing on our own. Abe and Jordan, you will not do this whole crew ministry on your own. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you know that. The third motivator is the return of Christ. In verse 9, Jesus ascends into heaven. He gives the marching orders, and then He returns to His Father. But that's not the end of the story. Our Bible doesn't end in, in, in Acts 1.8. No, two angels appear, and then they say, don't just stand there, get busy. Because, verse 11, this same Jesus, same one, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen Him go into heaven. In other words, in time-space history, bodily for real jesus is returning and you do not want to be wasting your time while you wait for him the efca has always emphasized the return of christ and how that should motivate us to be busy evangelizing the world the resurrection the spirit and the return of christ empower and motivate us to be Jesus' witnesses in all the earth you will be my witnesses Three simple points of application this morning. Number one, go. Go. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses and he is Lord, we better do it. Now, we already had a message about local evangelism in our community. Bus ministry, Wild West Day, Wild Game Dinner and all that. But it's important to think about how we are doing it today. For example, who are you inviting to Family Bible Week? Who are you inviting to the Good News Cruise? And more importantly, who are you sharing your testimony with these days? Go to them with the gospel. But somebody's got to take that gospel to the ends of the earth. Not just locally, not just here, but around the globe. Go. I love it that this church has seen its members go off into world missions. The Carl Nelsons in 1905. The John and Becky Forces in 1988. The Bruce and Donna Weatherleys in 2004 or whatever it was. The Stephen Tirza Gibbonies after that. They weren't with us back then, but the Judy Carlsons and the Nancy Wurtzes. And now the Abraham and Jordan Scasels. I love that. Do you guys have a fridge card yet? Got to get a fridge card. Who else wants to go? It might just be on a short-term trip. Nesta Kephart went to Haiti back in the day. So did Tom Fish. Shinley's been out on short-term teams. Our youth group went into the inner city of Brooklyn in 2000 for a week. We sent Tom Fish to Thailand for nine months. And Katie, then Thompson, to China short-term. And in very recent years, we sent whole teams 
on short-term trips. Serbia in 2012, Oaxaca in 2014, and the scary place of Pittsburgh in 2015. And then Denham Springs in 2017, but we never got our group together with their picture all together. I wonder what's next. I also wonder who is the next career missionary we have among us. Are you called to go? It could be a young person right now. It could be an older person. God calls all kinds of people in the missionary service. Single people like Toby McGill who was just here this spring. Married people like Phil and Ruth Ann Alessi. Is the Lord calling you to serve Him in missions? I've been praying for 19 years that the Lord would regularly raise up people from within our own church family and launch them into intercultural, international ministry. Of course, not everybody can go far away, but everybody can. Number two, send. Go or send. I remember at Moody Bible Institute when a missionary speaker came to us and he said something that made a great impression on me. He said, you only have three choices when it comes to the Great Commission. Go, send, or disobey. Those are the only three choices. Go, send, or disobey. Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it takes a team to get them there. We all work together to make it happen. Here's our most recent new missionaries that we have sent. Zeke and Megan McGill. Papua New Guinea. Darko and Elizabeth Vika. They were just here in the spring. Serbia. Donnie and Tanya Rosie up at Miracle Mountain Ranch. And last, and the Hoyts. This is Rich and Ann Hoyt. How many have met Rich and Ann Hoyt? Just two of us. We haven't met the Hoyts yet in person here. And we, we send them money every month. John and Becky knew them and we Skyped with them to interview them. They've, they've put, we put a video up from them on the screen. But you know why we began to be a part of their sending team? Because of the promise our forefathers made to Frederick Franson. These folks are members of team. And we hope to meet them for the first time in person this fall. Thank you, family, for sending them. When you give your regular gift in the offering, you are automatically involved in sending and supporting these servants of God. And together, together, we are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, of course, you don't have to just send our LEFC missionaries. At our family, we've got missionaries in our fridge that aren't a part of the missions ministry here at Lance Free Church. You've met some of our friends in missions over the years. You've probably got missionaries on your fridge that we don't have on ours in Lance. That's how this task gets accomplished. By everybody not only going to the extent they are called, but everybody helping to send missionaries where God is calling them. What are you doing to be involved in sending Maybe you need to talk to Abe and Jordan after church today about joining their support team. Last one. I changed it from disobey. Go, send, and 
pray. Why are these folks on our fridges? Why are they hung on the wall in the back of the auditorium? Why are they on the map out in the foyer? It's to remind us to pray for them. This week at EFCA1, I ran into a missionary couple who had been here on our campus when we hosted the district conference back in 2013. They are now, they were preparing then, and they are now missionaries in Panama, John and Bianca Fowler. Some of you might have followed the Fowlers to, to Panama. The Fowlers had another couple with them that I met at this week as well, Frank and Sylvia Saavdra, wonderful servants of the Lord with Reach Global. You know what these two couples did? They invited me to come to Panama and bring a group if we felt so called. But they also, they wanted, they both reached out to me with these cards. They said, would you put these on your fridge or your filing cabinet? I said, would you please pray for us? They are on the front lines of missions ministry. They are being Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. They are fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And what do they want most from us? Prayer. It's the least we can do. What is your commitment to praying for missionaries? How do you do it? We don't have to do it the same way. You don't have to have fridge cards, by the way. That's not in Acts 1.8. It's just one way to get there. What do you need to do more of to be praying for missionaries? Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we better go. We better send. We better pray. Let's do it right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for Frederick Franson's visit in 1897. Thank you that this church family has had it in our DNA that we will be involved in global missions, both near and far, because you told us to through Acts 1-8. Lord, I pray that we would go, maybe just across the room, but also across the seas. And we would take this gospel message that we have, we have taken into ourselves and we would share it with others. Father, thank you for saving us. I pray for anybody here who has not yet received that gospel message, that they would do it today. Jesus suffered and came back to life. And he's given us his Holy Spirit and he's coming back again to set up his kingdom. I pray that we would all be there as a part of that kingdom. And Lord, I pray that we would take this gospel message and when we can't take it, we would send others to do it. Where we can't go, we would send others to do it. Thank you, Father, for these people across the back. Their pictures on our wall, their pictures posted in the foyer, their pictures on our fridge. Help us to be faithful to pray for them as they send the light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.